This is the Italian-American dragon, Dominic Rini, and you're listening to Wrestling Cheers, where everybody knows your name. Taking your way in the world today, takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries, sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And welcome back to Wrestling Cheers, where everybody knows your name, especially when you are the bone collector. This is Wrestling Cheers. We like to talk about things going on Northeast Ohio independent wrestling scene. We preview shows, we review shows, and sometimes we even have interviews along the way. This is an interview with the bone collector or the Italian-American dragon, Dominic Greeny. I am your host, Justin Summers, and Wrestling Cheers is brought to you by the Trending Topics Network and Midwest Territory. Please rate, review, and subscribe your ever listen to this fine podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Podbean, WrestlingCheers.Podbean.com. Check out our merch store at WhatAmaneuver.net. And like I said, this is an interview with Dominic Greeny, and we have him on the line right now. Dom, how's it going? I'm doing good. Yourself there, Justin? I'm doing good during these uh, these difficult, strange times uh, with uh, uh, everything going on. It's just I didn't, don't even really want to get into it, but it's it's just been real, real different. And actually, this is your return to the show because you were on live here in my office when we uh, broke down part of a Jayla bracket. Yeah, that would have been the the West Barkley, uh, Zach Thomas, Ryder Reed, uh, TKD debut year. Because I remember, like, that was one of the reasons why you wanted to be on the show is because I had such great insight into kind of like their training and where they were. So it's been a while, but it's good to be back. It's good to have you back, and it's crazy because you were someone who, like I said, who was you were able to come here, but with everything going on, you can't. So yeah, let's 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 keep the uh, let's keep the social distancing going so wrestling can come back at some point. I also don't want Pat Franklin, Ron Two Legs to uh, COVID cop call us. So we gotta we gotta keep our distance here. Uh, that's very true. What's weird for me when I'm listening to Pod Van Dam, I'm at work, so he's just like talking about staying home, and I'm like, well, I can't. I'm working. I'm doing shit. Yeah, I think I, I think you get a pass, so it's okay. It's just uh, this is a, like crazy it's even weird to think where we are with like something like the momentum of aiw over the past couple of years is something that i've been thinking about i was trying to figure out when the real upswing from aiw happened and i'm thinking i want to get your thoughts on this it seems like it was 2014 yeah thorn thorn i've had a discussion with thorn about this thorn always thorn and biggins both agreed to this the upswing of aiw in their mind was when they were able to get kevin steen in mm-hmm. uh because they felt like it really gave them kind of that that cachet of like okay this can be a, a bigger indie um and like i said that's always where i've always heard thorn and biggins kind of really say aw got over the hump of becoming a bigger deal was when they were able to to get steen in for a couple of dates and like that led to like so much like of so much positive to even to the point of like when you know steen was at aiw it was turner's hall era that led on so many more eyes to where when that shut down or at least shut down for the time being, and we moved to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, that 
you know, it's the crowd was built, growing more and more to where even if, because I remember fans at that time were talking about, oh, I want to go back. We should go back. And it's like, well, we won't fit. It's partially that. Like, I, I, I get the, the, the love of Turner's. I really do. Uh, I, I, it's a Cleveland wrestling staple. But I think where we're at with AIW right now, and even Thorne will bring this up to, to John, Turner's represents a darker time and not to the timeline we're in right now. And you don't want to go back to where you were before. Mm-hmm. I really think that, like, even in the the only time I think that would have appropriately fit to go back to Turner's might have been after the Mount Carmel incident. But after the Mount Carmel incident happened and we were able to add kind of quasi-luck into getting the Odeon, I, I really think the Odeon's become more than the new home of AIW. It is the AIW arena, the the one way to look at it, at least, at least from us fans. Like, it has that more uh, uh, aesthetic fit for a wrestling show like granted you can see so many wrestling shows in the stereotypical bingo halls and high school gymnasiums and all that kind of stuff and and bars but granted like the Odeon is a bar but it had it has that wrestling venue vibe with all the lighting and everything like when, when we first walked in there and we had had that first show it felt special like this is like what we've been building up to this makes us look legit oh absolutely 100 percent and Another thing I keep thinking about, too, when it comes to, like, a lot of this stuff, because I was, I was thinking about that upswing, and everybody, like, listening to, like, old interviews, whether you were in or someone else was in, you know, just, like, that, that conversation about AIW, and there was always just, like, you know, the randomness you can find, and you could still find it, but the thing that I always loved was the the difference between Thorn and Biggins, of, like, yeah. you can tell who got booked by Thorn and who got booked by Biggins, most of the time, if it was a lot of your uh, uh, old WCW wrestlers, like that was probably Biggins. And now uh, I think everything's been able to transition well. I, I think there's a little bit of that Biggins touch gone, but it's not a lot. Like there's so much still there and it's still this variety show of whatever you love in wrestling, you're going to get it here. Yeah, I think that it's not as profound as it was when, you know, when we had Chandler around, you know, there hasn't quite been a storyline like a, like a Dick Justice, Jock Samson <laughs> yes. with the marriages and all this and that. But I still think we do have what I would call a little bit of Memphis flair. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we are still bringing in goofy guys. Uh, believe me, you know, Thorne had Adam Bomb booked for February before that fell apart. Thank goodness it did because he got arrested the day of the show. Yeah. So that worked out in the long run. Uh, and I know some of the guys that John and I have talked about uh, for in the future when when shows are able to come back, I, I know that they're going to be a little different than than somebody would expect. And one is definitely one that I think Biggins would have loved. So, you know, the, the you could definitely tell the difference in booking styles between Chandler and John. But uh, I, I think John's done a really good job of bridging the, that gap and, and doing, you know, enough to make to, to keep what Chandler would have loved alive. And I think there's there's another aspect of it that I was realizing recently. I went back to listen to something Thorne had said a while back, and I think I think a lot of fans don't give him enough credit because it seems like a lot, when people get booked that it's oh uh, why why did you book this guy why did you book this guy this guy sucks blah blah blah. But I think at the end of the day, like there hasn't been as many um, failed attempts. Like there's been just a lot like. So many people got pissed, for example, about ICP, but I'm guessing that brought in a lot and it was well worth it. At least, damn, at least for me. I think like we, I, I don't know the exact number, but I do know that like the day John announced ICP, the ticket sales skyrocketed and like <laughs> you can, you can say what you want about 
whoever we book or whatnot. But John's not booking somebody that he doesn't think is going to help the company out in some way, shape, or form. Something that's either going to a push for a greater fan experience or b push, you know, for a better gate. You know, and the thing about ICP on that show was the ability to have ICP on that show that. Uh, there and then gave us the ability to add a lot more to the show in terms of other talent and things like that. Like, you know, we had Scorpio on that show, and I'm sure the show would have done fine with just Scorpio, but the ability to have Scorpio and ICP took it from, you know, 200 people in the building to, you know, 450 in the building. So, you know, it was well worth it in that regard. And I think that's one of the things I love about independent wrestling and AIW is when when you get, like, the stuff like that, and we're, I've said it like a million times, like, we're spoiled of, like, how much how much talent has come through. And I think that's what makes a lot of this even worse of, you know, what we're going through because for a lot of us, AIW was the community was the family and now not seeing everybody and not getting like those fan experiences. Like it really does suck. Absolutely. You know, and John's ready to go when everything comes back, but you know, I've talked with Thorne and, and Thorne knows that, just because they say events can happen again, he's not looking to run an event the day they say that. You know, John wants to wait six weeks until after the uh, the the clearing of events happens because for him, you know, he would hate to they announce that you know they clear events to happen. He announces an event for three weeks on three to four weeks on the line. We get promoting ticket sales get going, and out of nowhere that event gets canceled because you know we're back in lockdown. So he really wants to make sure that once, you know, lockdowns are lifted and, you know, fans can resume coming to shows that there's enough of a bridge gap there that, you know, we're not going to have to go back through a shutdown again. We're not going to have to go through, you know, he's not going to have to go through a refunding process and things like that. Um, I really think, though, that like Thorne's done a great job of, you know, keeping the AW community really in tune with the IWTV live streams. Uh, I think we're doing every Wednesday night has been our night on IWTV. You know, he's he's providing really great insight into the shows and the kind of backstage as to how everything kind of went down for those shows. Um, on top of that, he's been, you know, doing a lot of flash merchandise sales on Twitter and getting those products out. So, you know, he's trying to engage the fans as best as he can during this time and, you know, just keep the, the, the feeling alive and the family vibe out there. And I think it goes to show how this company has changed since, since 2014 when Kevin Steen came in. It's not like it was in a bad point. It's just as times have changed, you know, you know, we've finally got a AIW podcast and that's been, that's been a long journey of uh, episodes and twists and turns of just, you know, people behind the scenes. But I think the cool thing is, at least especially from my point of view, and I, I try to go back and do it every so once, but I was like, go back and listen to some of the old, the old big and stuff, just so I can hear an old friend's voice. But uh, there was like, you know, the podcast, now there's Patreon and like there, there's so much to where even now with more shows being added on IWTV that it feels like this is the right time to get an independent wrestling in. Like if there's any company you want to get behind, like there's so many reasons to. And going from AIW being this just Cleveland based company and I talked to friends over the internet about it, they like didn't know. And now it's like, oh, AIW, now I know. Yeah, and for and for a while, uh, you know, I know John always kind of thought we were we we, uh, we he always kind of had the ETW mentality of where they were, you know, in like late '99, where it was like, hey, we're we're too big to be small, but we're too small to be big, and he never really knew, you know, how to bridge that. And I think within the last couple of years, he's really kind of figured out how to bridge that, and he's really figured out how to kind of you know, book everything that works out. And it sucks because clearly we had some expansion plans this year that really got, you know, 
put on the back burner. Like, obviously, we had the Columbus show that we were going to do. That's a brand new market. You know, we had three planned Akron shows this year, which we just canceled, which one we didn't even announce, which was supposed to be a May show. So we had a lot of expansion plans on that. You know, uh, he had, you know, the rest of the kind of crew working out to find some other venues, too, to see what we can do. But, you know, it, it's it, it, life is how we get like, life is how it is. And it's the, the hand we're dealt. So I'm interested to see coming out of this, you know, how fans react. Are fans going to be ready to come back to shows? Are they going to be ready to support, you know, or, or are they going to be afraid, you know, to get back in the larger crowds and larger audiences? Yeah, I think that's a huge battle that we're going to have to deal with. And it's, it's, it's weird to even think about that because um, this has never happened in like a long, I can't say the history of the world, but we haven't had anything like this in a very long time. And of no people's memory of just this severity of like we're at home and it, it does lead to a lot of fear and everything. And it is kind of funny that I was re-listening to an old episode you did with Spotlights here. Uh, Ryan had a great quote and I think it, it really f- speaks now. And this was a year ago. I think it was released uh, April 1st of last year. He, uh, he said in uh, the interview with you, you can't GPS life where it takes you is where it takes you. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, we're all getting rerouted right now. Um, hopefully if you're an office person, we're not going to drive in the lake like Michael Scott, but, um, (laughs) hopefully, you know, we're going to keep going forward. Hopefully this reroute is just that it's a reroute and everything's going to come back strong and everything's going to be fine. Um, you know, I've talked with enough people that, you know, they're more than excited for this for, for the first time that we're all back on the Odeon on a Friday night, you know, and, I can only imagine, you know, the, the the hardcore fan base that we have that's going to be more than ready to come back out, ready to support, you know, the roster of everybody and, you know, just ready to kind of get back to whatever kind of normalcy we can have in life after these last couple of months. Uh, one of my, speaking of the office, one of my favorite quotes that I've said many times and now I kind of regret it is a quote from Dwight. Uh, There's too many people on this earth. We need a new plague. And I used to say that all the time in like crowded areas. Just as a joke. And now I'm like, oh, that maybe not. Yeah, one of, <laughs> one of those things that doesn't age well now. No. Like, I actually think I said that at uh, uh, Baby It's Too Cold Outside. I said that to somebody. And like, now I look back, I'm like, oh, fuck, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, at that point, you couldn't have known any better, man. Um, so here's the crazy thing. Like, I, I, I did try to do a dive on you, try to find out more stuff, try to figure out things we could talk about. I mean, I've known you a, a while. But mm-hmm. I, I wanted to see if, like, how many people talk to you about other shit? And uh, we did talk about this before we started. When you type in Dominic Greeny into Apple Podcasts, for some reason, like, this Egypt podcast is, like, the top hit for, like, episodes. So, it just gives you a list of all these episodes. And, I mean, I could go through feeds, but a lot of them I have to dig through. But uh, yeah. most of them seem like talk about wrestling, which is fine, but that's not what I, I try to do, and I've known you long enough. Uh, one thing... That was ta- I've heard you talk about, but it's like you've touched on it. I kind of want to know what your backyard wrestling days were like. Oh man, holy <laughs> shit! Um, interesting. Yeah. So back in let's let's hit our way back machine here. Yep. Uh, if you if you can add the sound effect of the Wayne Wayne's World music or the do 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 do, that'd be good. <laughs> but um. Uh, 2004, 2005 would have been, and early in 2006 would have been like my big backyard wrestling days. Um, 
I was always like the kid who wanted to do backyard wrestling, but I never found a really loyal group of friends that was good for it. And at that time, I did find a loyal group of friends around 2004, 2005. And like we were trying to be like the most professional backyard outlet you could get. <laughs> um, and oh boy, like we were, you know, trying to do show graphics. We were trying to do all that stuff back in, like 05, 06. Like imagine that, like. So, trying to do like we had a, we had a tripod website we had a MySpace website okay, like it was it was wild and like it was weird too because it's like a lot of like I find like a lot of parallels to like me seeing new kids at the school that like don't know that there's an existence of wrestling outside of the WWE and TNA or now AEW for that matter like I knew of like this outside world of like ROH and CZW <laughs> and all this stuff. And when we first started, of course, everybody just wanted to do normal backyard wrestling. Then I started to show these guys CZW and like oh. everybody's like, oh, shit, like we can hit each other light tubes and like do crazy bumps. And like it, we definitely like rele- relegate ourselves to that. But I just remember like us doing like grassroots stuff at like high school and like trying to like really like get people to show up. And I think one show we had like 100 people show up and I'm pretty sure the cops got called on us. But that was like our pinnacle of like having like a big 100 person show. Did you know about uh, like the backyard wrestling series at that time? Because oh, absolutely. Okay, great. Yeah. So, so this is a small world story that I have. Uh, it would have been oh five, I would say. Mm-hmm. Super into backyard wrestling, and I knew M Dog and Josh were from Cleveland. So, like, it was so cool to me that, like, oh man, like these guys are from around here, and like we're doing the same shit they're doing. So, of all things, in like two thousand and five. My mom brings home this flyer for a mid-Ohio wrestling show Okay. that had like King Kong Bundy and the Iron Sheik on it. And I was like, and she was like, hey, she's like, me and your dad can't go to the show with you, but we'll drop you off and pick you up when it's done. Do you want to go? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so they drop me off and I'm at the show and at the gimmick tables, I see M-Dog and Josh and I am just starstruck. Fuck the Iron Sheik. <laughs> fuck King Kong Bundy. I could care less about these dudes. Like, let me meet Josh and M Dog. And I was just talking to them about wrestling. And I had, I, they had these backyard wrestling shirts and I bought one. Oh, and I remember having Josh and M Dog sign the flyer that they, that they ended up being on. And when I started in AIW, I brought that story up to Prohibition. And he goes, A and M Dog. And they're like, holy shit. They're like, really? And I was like, yeah. And I was going through some stuff at my parents' house one day, and I found that flyer, and I I brought it and showed it to Josh. And he couldn't believe that I kept that flyer after all those years. That's fucking nuts. That Mid Ohio, that's a company I've been to a couple times, but not back then. I didn't. Dude, dis- it's been around forever. Yeah, I didn't discover independent wrestling until 2011, and I think when I f- first went to them, which I've only been to a handful of shows, was like 2012. I think it was because they had Rhino there, and that was like my first. Uh, chance to meet Rhino, and I think the week before I went to a now gone independent wrestling company. Uh, technically, I always called them MECW, but they called themselves MCW because they had Matt Hardy. Oh, was that what they were? Massling Championship Wrestling at that time, right? No, they, that was uh, Main Event Championship Wrestling. I think that was ran, okay. ran by that- Shasta. Yeah, dude, because I went to the, I went to one of the Shasta shows at the Civic Center, where the, it was like the main event was like the Dudleys in like a TLC match, and like. There was like a three-way with like Necro, Abdul the Butcher, and like Toby Klein. Ivory was on the show. And like one of the things that that like broke me into backhand wrestling more was one of the guys that I went to high school with was actually a trained wrestler for MC or for Shasta. So like he like took us under his wing and like would like 
do backyarding with us and like show us stuff. Okay. What was your backyard wrestling name? Same as it is now, man. I've I've okay. I've been very steadfast in just keeping my normal name for whatever reason. Uh, they did abbreviate. They they like to abbreviate it. Uh, and they used to just call me Dom G. And I don't know why, but they liked that. Um, we had, I just remember like we, but like the, the thing about us was like, we had like all these ideas for feuds and stuff. Like I was like really into CM Punk. And especially at that time, because like, that was like straight edge ROH CM Punk. And like, that was my gimmick was I was going to be the straight edge guy. And you know, my, my protect or my antagonists, they were, you know, weed smoking dudes who talked about partying. <laughs> so like, that was the idea was I was fighting the greater good against these guys. So yeah, that would be because that would be before you discovered Steen. So I could see that. I was well, I was there. Yeah. So essentially, like that was like oh five ish, and like right at like the like near the middle to end of oh five, I found Steen. And like you will know when I found Kevin Steen as a backyard wrestler because I started doing a package pile driver every match at that point. <laughs> yeah, fuck. It's crazy to think that. Um... People did that on like MySpace and and all that kind of stuff because like mm-hmm. I was I was doing like quote backyard stuff but like I we never did it to an extreme we were like that stereotypical like we're gonna do it on a trampoline and all this kind of stuff like I grew up in a, just a small trailer yeah. park so like we couldn't afford this but we always had dreams like I remember like friends talking about what they wanted to do and they were gonna uh, at that time because obviously the internet was younger and like you, getting stuff up was harder but they wanted to create like a website and create, do all this stuff and yep. They wanted to do all these storyline stuff. I remember, like for us, it was all talk. And dude, we we had a tri- we had a tripod website. We had a lot of stuff <laughs> going on. We had actually like so the main idea was we had had a buddy who had a trampoline, but we fashioned this weird creation out of like under the trampoline of like mattresses and tires and plywood, so that like it looked like it actually bumped. Like it feels nothing like an actual ring. But like we weren't necessarily like thinking like, man, we need to do everything on the ground because obviously like that doesn't necessarily work and doesn't isn't conductive for your bodies. But like we were like making like makeshift rings. And I remember like we probably had I think each of us on our on our computers had a bookmark for how to make a wrestling ring. Because like there was some website that like showed you how to make a wrestling out of like tires, mattresses and plywood. And we just never were able to pull the trigger on it. I wish I well, kind of wish that I had the the ability of like stuff you have now, or, like we have now uh, in society oh, of yeah. just now, like all you need is your phone and like that can get you on YouTube in a couple minutes. Uh, you can learn a, a quick editor and like get, get stuff up. Even like that you can do on your phone too. And it's, yeah. uh, de- I don't want to be like sound old, but it's just like, oh, like damn kids these days. But I don't know, like that's, that's kind of what we had. And, um, to where it's gone. I think especially too, like after I saw backyard wrestling, I was like, well, uh, we're never going to do that. So, and I was also getting to an age where I was getting into high school. Cause I want to say I watched mm-hmm. backyard wrestling right around my eighth grade year, maybe going into to freshman year. And like at that time we kind of stopped. Like the only other thing that I did close to backyard wrestling was, uh, when I was in my mid twenties, I had a friend of mine who they were younger. They were closer to like 20 and 19 and stuff. So they, build a ring in a barn and like like we put stuff on youtube like i didn't wrestle like i just wanted to be a part of it i was more of like an authority figure or something and like that's the that's the closest thing we got a couple of them became train wrestlers but uh i don't know if i should talk about this fun fact there is a current aiw wrestler former student i won't say his name but we met back then and uh i know who it is okay yeah so like that was my first introduction to him but like that's kind of like the kind of like the friends we had of like all right we're gonna do this 
not necessarily backyard wrestling because it was actually the one friend of ours. His dad owned a bar in the parking lot of that bar. There was this big storage barn and that's where we, the ring was built. It was like, I forget the exact dimensions, but it was obviously like smaller. Yeah. And like to to give your quarterback kids these days type thing, like straight up, like I tell all the kids, any of the new kids that come to the the school, like you guys don't know what it's like. Like this is so easy for you guys now when it comes to like getting footage, like when I was those dudes age, like most of them like 18 or that, or like when I was first like doing my backyard stuff, I literally had a crazy max account and I would tape trade and I would buy stuff from DVD sales. Like you can ask Dr. Dan, like he, I think he's got like one of my like booklets of DVDs. It's just, I have like, I had so much stuff like these dudes like don't understand. Like it's so easy. Now you have IWTV, you have the high spots network, you have all this stuff literally at like your fingertips. That and especially YouTube, but it's, I never got into tape trading. Um, I don't think I, I knew about it until years later and then finding out like back in the 90s and prior and most of the 2000s, like people, that's like what they did. Because that if you wanted to watch, you know, something from Japan, that's that's how you did. You couldn't just go and sign up to a network and watch like the whole back catalog of New Japan and All Japan and all that kind of shit. So I, like any almost anything you want, there's a way to watch it now. And it's. It's one thing I mean that I will, I, I do I will love. never forget being so invested in ROH in 05 and 06 and not being able to afford, you know, ROH DVDs like master copies because they were like 15 bucks plus five dollar shipping. Uh, so I was always the guy that was like on Crazy Max and like I'd be like waiting for like the day ROH like put them up on their website. But essentially the day ROH put them up on their website, somebody would say, okay, here's this disc, $3 for, you know, a copy and then $2 for shipping. So, you know, it was the only way I was you know, really being able to stay up on ROH, which was my jam at the time. And then like, the only thing I would do is I would buy stuff from smart Mark at the time. Like I like, I'm for the first to admit that like, I would buy like, like I bought KJ.6 from smart Mark. I would buy like the entire 0506, like CZW run I was buying from smart Mark. So yeah, it's wild. Like Tate trading is definitely is something that just almost doesn't exist anymore at this point. Which I've, it's a good thing, bad thing. I think it's like, that's, such a cool uh, network networking experience for some people, I think, back then. But now the fact that, you know, it, it is a, I mean, we're an instant gratification culture, but now literally anything. Well, it's instant gratification want. culture. And, and now with the abilities of these streaming sites, you know, the promotions are able to make more money because let me put it this way. If ROH in 2006, you know, we had the technology and they were like, hey, we're going to put all of our stuff up on streaming four days after we get done with it. Uh, and all you got to do is pay $10 a month. Believe me, I would have found a way to do that. It wouldn't have been $4 here, $7 there, $10 there, you know. Mm. It would have been like, okay, well, $10 a month and I get this all. And even now, too, because I remember one of my biggest issues was if, if I couldn't find it, like, on my television, it was hard for me to watch it. But I remember not – that's how I, why I couldn't get into ROH. And now it's just starting to crack into this this um, this area. And even not before that, you could just go on Fight TV and the – like the Monday after the weekend, it's it's up. Yeah. Other thing I I know about you, and uh, I don't know the exact depths though, is okay. your, your love of Disney. Oh yeah, big big Disney guy. Mounts <laughs> uh, forever. Also okay. known as theme park enthusiasts. <laughs> yes, uh, that was I think one of the fun uh, conversations I had with Koo when he was on, uh, just a, a, about Disney, and that's like I know uh, my the plan is everything. This is normal by next year. Uh, that's where I want to go for my honeymoon is Disney. Oh, nice. So, like, researching that, and it's really crazy how wrestlers 
independent wrestlers, maybe just wrestlers in general, because there's people in WWE mm-hmm. and whatnot, the love for Disney World. And I, <laughs> I did, I used to never understand. A lot understand. of people don't understand it. Like, yeah. it, it's hard to, like, I don't know, like, the explanation for it. For me, it's Disney and, like, Universal to me, like, as theme parks are kind of, like, personal. Like, I grew up in, in Orlando, like, the Orlando area. Like, I always grew up remotely close to the theme parks. Okay. Uh, I was born in Canton. I lived in Florida for 10 years, and then I moved back to Canton. Um, so, like, for me, like, that's part of it. But also, I don't know. I think it's just, like, the ability to escape reality. And, like, if I'm at Disney, no one really knows who I am, per se, and like, it's just such a good way to like go and just escape your reality, reality for a day. Or if you're going for a week, a week, like when I went to Disney for a week back in 20, uh, back in 2018, man, I barely thought about wrestling. Like that was like the one week I was able to like put the Academy on hold. I was able to put all my bookings on hold and it was really just like, Hey, this is about having fun and, you know, enjoying company with people. The one thing that I've heard, I've heard is that. Basically, going to Disney World is legitimately an escape. Like, you go there and you just you mm-hmm. legitimately feel like you're in a different world. Like, you're because if you you go there and you spend the week on property, which or however much time you're there on property, which is my plan, is like you 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 don't feel like you're in the regular world because like it's just no. a completely different environment. No, and and I would I would agree with that. Like the week I spent there, like I said, it was really, it really was an escape. And it was something that like, I would, I wish I had the fun, the financial funds to do every year. Clearly I don't, but like the big joke that Kevin and I always have is that we would take a low ball WWE offer if it came through just so we could become Disney universal season pass holders. So we could go do our classes, at the PC, and then just go and escape the Disney or universal for the day. I mean, it seems like a lot of wrestlers do. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, that's definitely a popular thing. And that's like, like I believe me, I'm beyond gutted about missing WrestleMania, like the WrestleMania weekend this year, and all this, like all the matches that Kevin and I were gonna have, and all the matches that I had planned. But really, like the the double gut load of to Kevin and I was we were gonna go to Uni- or we were gonna go to Disney on Monday, and then we were gonna go to Universal on Tuesday. Okay. So we missed out on both of those. And for me, I'm a massive Toy Story guy, and when I went to Uni- or when I went to Disney on my week long vacation, Toy Story Land was not yet open. So I still have not been. So it's it it, it 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 hurts me deep down inside. Now Kev got lucky. Kev in February got a chance to go to Disney for I think three or four days or four days. So Kev hit his Disney quota for this year, but sadly I I doubt that mine's gonna hit this year. Like the whole plan for us too is to get married at the end of October and have the last full week of October in Disney. That's that's a good plan. Um I know that they're not nearly as busy at that point because the, the schools are back in and whatnot. So the only good, the only good thing I can say for you and where you sit is that you know after all of this, you might be able to have much less when it comes to crowds. Uh, that's true. I didn't even thought about that. I was just hoping like everything goes fine to make sure like they're still open. Like granted, like hopefully everything's over by then. But I think there's there's that aspect of it that I'm, I'm I want to go of the whole Halloween stuff. But there's also, if if I leave once, it's going to be to go to Universal Studios because yeah, of like when all the stuff they do. Yeah. So when, when I went, I went with my ex at the time, and that was the only thing that like our game plan was. We were like, as we were with her family, and it was like, well, if we're gonna leave, we'll go to Universal. And one of the, it's one of those things that honestly, like if you go and you do a park holder thing type there, you're gonna end up at Disney the whole time just because. Mm-hmm. I will say this, having been to both sets of parks. So you can do Universal the entire park in a day, whereas like at Disney, like 
you can't do like Magic Kingdom in a no. day. Like you can't do everything you want to do in Magic Kingdom in a day. You probably need multiple days to do Magic Kingdom. And then you have days that you have parks that are half day parks like Animal Kingdom for sure a half day park. Like you can do a half day Animal Kingdom. But now like Hollywood Studios used to be a half day park. But with Toy Story Land and now Galaxy's Edge, that's far from a half day park. Like that's a full day park. So like at Disney, you get caught up into doing so much stuff at the parks that you end up now it's not as easy to universal like a universal like Kevin and I went to universal. I want to say after it was after fest last year. So like early November last year and we were, and obviously we went not during peak season. So that was nice, but we went and like, we were able to get on almost everything we wanted. The only thing that we didn't get to ride what that we wanted to ride was the new Hagrid coaster, but that's still like one of the newest things at universal, but we were able to do islands of adventure and universal studios in one single day. So if I like if I'm going on a one off when I'm in Florida, it's easier to just go into Universal and a one off. I guess that makes sense. I think the, the main thing that I want to do there is the haunted house stuff. And if they have the Ghostbusters mm-hmm. one up that year, like that's going to be like, all right, I don't care. Like what else I do there? Like that's that's number one. I get that crossed off. I'm going to be a happy camper because just seeing like all the stuff like the Ghostbusters stuff as a haunted house i'm like oh that's so much fun and then like all the merch stuff that they do on top of it that you can buy it's it it makes me go nuts yeah kevin i missed halloween horror nights by like two days and i remember like we were both really sad about it because the previous year kevin had went to halloween horror nights and i know thorn thorn likes to try to plan a trip to universal now around halloween horror nights because he went last year and, and had such a good time so like if i could plan halloween horror nights you know next year probably i'll just say next year like that'd be something i want to do like because there's so much cool stuff to do down there, especially around that time. Like that's one thing I will give Universal. They do a lot of cool like fests and fun stuff. Like they do Halloween Horror Nights. They do like a really fun Mardi Gras type thing. So they they do a lot of like fun t- celebration type things. How did you feel about Toy Story Four? I loved it. I really did love it. Like I went and saw it of all time with like Ke- I went and saw it with Kev of all people, and I loved it. I think that it tied everything together really well. I think that you know, spoiler alert. Clearly, they kept it open to do two spinoffs, obviously one with the Woody side and one with the Buzz side, but we'll see what they decide to do. I mean, almost all Pixar movies had a very, have a kind of very similar storyline and plot to them, and I think that they kept it pretty true to that. I think that they did a lot of good callbacks, and I think that, you know, in the end, it was a movie that, you know, tugged on a lot of heartstrings, but Toy Story 4 is going to get too much flack because Toy Story 3 might be the most perfect movie of all time. So no matter what you followed it up with, people were going to kind of come in with a uh, with a lower opinion of it because Toy Story three was just that good. Yeah, I think I think Toy Story three was that good, and I'm always open to whenever they announce stuff like this. Like, all right, we're gonna do four. I'm like, well, I see how you ended it. Let's let's see what you do. And the story that they came out with of this whole like story for Woody, where it's basically like, why would a girl like her like Woody? Like, it doesn't fit. Like, that's mm-hmm. why she like gravitated more towards Jesse and all that kind of stuff. So, like, his purpose was basically done and yep. to give him, like, I, I really like, I, I liked how they gave him a new purpose by the end of the movie. And that's why I like people want to people, some people kind of like weren't super keen about it, but I liked the idea of it. Like, and the idea of like Woody as, as a toy, uh, clearly like to a new generation of kids, he's not going to be that exciting. So like, that's the idea is like, he needed that new purpose and he found it with that. I also really thought that they hit it out of the park with the new characters that they created mm-hmm. for toy story Four. Like Ducky and Bunny were awesome. Yes. Um, Forky was awesome. Like yes. I, dude, Forky made Kevin and I like corpse in the theater multiple times, 
And then, honestly, like, who didn't love Duke Kaboom and the whole thing? So they did a really good job introducing new characters. And I really think that, like, in the world we live in now, the Disney Plus world, like, you don't even necessarily need to do movies anymore. You could literally do spinoff series with, like, Duke Kaboom. You could do a spinoff series on Ducky and Bunny. You could do a spinoff series with Forky. There's so much cool stuff you can do. Like, Disney Plus is really going to give, you know, that kind of freedom on a lot of stuff like that. I think uh, I loved the fact that they took the the doll character. I forget her name off the top of my head. She's this villain, but they they kind of show her like, no, like she just yeah, it, she just needs a purpose. Yeah. So that's something that like Toy Story does pretty well is like they they really craft good villains um, and they but like they really humanize. Ga- or I think I'm pretty sure it's Gabby Gabby. They really right, humanize yeah. Gabby Gabby in this as opposed to like even like. I think the first two movies, like the first two Toy Stories, there wasn't really any redeeming qualities to the to the like bad characters. Like, there's really no redeeming quality to Sid. He's just kind of like a shithead. Um, and then there really isn't necessarily a redeeming quality to uh, Big Al or the Prospector. Mm-hmm. But like, at least the pro- like the Prospector starts like a theory of like, well, this is why he's mad, and it makes sense why he's mad, but he should be bitter. And very same with Lotso. Although Lotso is like my favorite like villain of all time, so <laughs> I would never say anything bad about Lotso. <laughs> Have you been watching anything in particular on Disney Plus? Nah, Disney Plus has been like kind of like my dark spot. Like at the start of this, at the start of everything, I got really into Friday Night Lights. I had watched the first season when I was in high school, um, so I wanted to go back and and you know go through that because Justice and I always talk about like Texas is Forever and like all that stuff. So I went back through and I watched the entire run of Friday Night Lights in like a week, which is like ridiculous because it's five seasons and the first two seasons are both like 16 plus episodes and they're all an hour long. So that was like my first like kind of like binge thing during like the quarantine. And then a lot of it's been watching wrestling and stuff. Um, so I haven't gotten a lot of chance to watch much Disney Plus as I wanted to. And right now, like I'm binging Ballers on HBO because I really wanted to uh, check that out. And then. I've been keeping up on like the series that like I've been watching. Like I'm a, I was a really big fan of Dave on FX this uh, for this first season, awesome ten episode season. And then uh, what we do in the shadows came back, which was something I got really into last year on FX, and now they're on their second season. I feel like I was the opposite of everybody when Disney Plus came out. I think I watched like one or two things. Like I know I watched the first episode of Darkwing Duck because mm-hmm. there's a part of me that wants to sit down and rewatch it all because that was one of my favorite Disney afternoon cartoons like that whole era of just Darkwing Duck was awesome and if I get a chance I'd love to sit down and watch uh, the reboot of DuckTales because I know I've learned I know everything about that the Darkwing episode and how they kind of make the original series canon in a way and then they find a way to spin it for this this new series and how that might lead into to something new but like that was pretty much it but then recently with with the quarantine and everything like i've i liked a lot of disney growing up but there was mm-hmm. always those things that either i didn't watch because like we didn't go through the theater and i was it was never bought for me on vhs or i got too old and i just felt like ah like i'm not going to go out and watch this movie but years later people are talking about them and i have very little knowledge of it or with my fiance same thing with her think what was it we watched frozen 2 because that was the like the new thing we watched that recently and then mm-hmm. i think she liked the little uh, chameleon character and i'm like oh have you seen tangled and she goes no i'm like well then you're gonna love that movie because of of that uh, lizard character i think maybe iguana not 100 percent sure but she watches that and then it, it turned into like okay what disney movies haven't we seen like i just watched this week mulan for the very first time oh wow 
Yeah. Dude, Mulan's great. That that was fun. And that's like one of my niece's favorite Disney movies. And like when I told her not too long ago that I haven't seen the original, she thought I was crazy. But, you know, she's 18. So she grew up with that already being out and everything. So now it's like the fun thing of, all right, what else did we miss? And then there's also the other category too of, I might've seen it, but it's so old that yeah. I might've seen it once. Like the great mouse detective and the, the rescuers. Yep. I've seen them, I think. But if it was, it was like when I was first grade kindergarten and like, it's been since then. Yeah. And like, that's like something that like I was big into doing. Like when I first had Disney plus was I wanted to see what of the Disney channel original movies that they put on it, because I will not lie when I was a younger kid, like the Disney channel original movies were something that pumped me up so much. And like the first thing I watched on Disney plus was Brink because Brink used to come on to Disney channel every couple of weeks. And I would watch it every time because dude, inline skating sweet, at least in like 1999 it was. And like to nine year old Dom, like Andy Brink Brinker was the, was the coolest kid ever. Uh, it does not hold up. Um, 30 year old Dom does not think Andy Brink Brink is cool. Uh, <laughs> and he does not really think the movie's cool, but I definitely can watch it with nostalgia. But there's like so many cool movies that I remember, like literally like Friday nights being like renting movies from like the video store and then being like, okay, well we can watch this after whatever the new Disney channel movie is. I'm, I missed out on the, the Disney channel stuff. I was more of a, uh, Nick kid. I, think, I was in everything that I was Nick Dick tunes, all that. Okay. Cause I, I did have a note down here of like, I know you like nineties pop culture. So I did want to know like when you were growing up, was it Nickelodeon cartoon network or Disney? But the, to you, that's all of them. It was, yeah, it was really a mix of the three. Like I like clearly like I love Nick tunes. Like I'm a big rock with my life and obviously a big Avril monsters guy. Yes. Um, and then like with cartoon network, like Dexter's lab, um, cow and chicken, courage, cowardly dog, stuff like that was like my GM there. And then all the Disney channel stuff, like all those original movies, proud family, uh, smart guy, stuff like that. I think with me, like the Nicktoons is iconic. And that's what, like what really turned Nickelodeon into its own network because a lot of the programming at the time was just, you know, licensed from other places. Like I, I remember always watching inspector gadget on there but that wasn't their cartoon and there there was a bunch of other stuff but that was like all right like we're creating our own programming i mean i should say that, let me get that there were game shows that at that time that i think were nick only but, yeah like i think like uh figure it out was one and then uh whatever the one that that uh they had to like the big board there was like, like a bunch of cool ones like of course you have like your double dare and stuff like that and legends of the hidden temple and nick arcade but yeah dude nick was nick was like really like key back then and like that's one of the things that like i look at it as like a universal property that they don't use in the parks at all and it doesn't ever make any sense to me that they could probably rebuild nick studios in some capacity even if it's just like a cool walkthrough exhibit and they could do really well with it but they just they don't do it because what used to be Nick Studios is just kind of like a sequestered off part of Universal now. I think like there's a Blue Man Group show that's in it, but otherwise um, they don't do much with it. And like they tried to do like a Nick themed hotel that ended up failing at Universal. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe it's just like buyer's remorse of like, well, we don't really think that this is a popular IPA or IPA. I think growing up, like I wouldn't go to Universal Studios just for all the nickelodeon mm -hmm. stuff and like that was a huge attraction and i don't even know how much of it was always there like with all the like the shootings uh, and everything but it was still like a way to place to go like if i would have got a picture in front of the slime fountain like to, yeah and like that would be awesome one of my favorite things to do is like get lost in like youtube rabbit holes of like theme park histories and whatnot 
and like they like there's a couple on like Universal Studios and like how it was like pretty much through like the mid nineties like like a lot of that stuff was shot on location in Universal Studios and whatnot. But essentially, at some point, a lot of that stuff ended up like they found it was just easier to outsource it. And like there's pretty much like actually I've seen in like a couple they say the death of like the, the game shows was the Nicktoons doing so well because they were a lot cheaper to produce than to, you know, do these shooting schedules and have all these key grips and have all of this yep. staff on hand to do that. So like really like I think they, they point to Rugrats being so successful really is what helped kill the game shows on Nick on Nick's networks. Rugrats and then Spongebob. I think that's the other fun thing. Like when you talk to someone, like what's your favorite Nicktoon? I think you could tell what era they grew up in because those are the two popular answers. Yep. Mm-hmm. For me, though, uh, like you mentioned Rocco and Auburn Monsters. I love those. For some reason, I love Doug. And I was like, as Dude, I, that's you're, you're far. You're far from the only one that loves Doug. Doug's Doug's a very popular one. Uh, people really, really love it. And like. That one is it always gets a little overlooked. Like Doug and Hey Arnold, like it's hard for me to just pick one. Like I love almost all of those, like those era Nicktoons. So it's hard. Like I don't like to just say, oh well, I only like this one. Like I really enjoy almost all of them from that era. Mm-hmm. I, I know I had a cutoff point where uh, I was not liking them as much, but I think the final straw. I didn't say straw, but I know like right somewhere after SpongeBob, because I wasn't hardcore into SpongeBob, but I I could watch it. Because even like when in middle school, like that, it had a weird popularity, and that's roughly mm-hmm. when it came out. So I was like, okay, we're still watching this kind of stuff. Fine, whatever. But as long as I know, I know I'm not the only one. But I know after that, I can't remember what else. Yeah, I mean, at some point, like the uh, a lot of like the initial like Nicktoons like creators left, mm-hmm. and like SpongeBob's really for the way most people consider it the last really great one. I I think like SpongeBob and Pretty Loud Parents were like the last two that I remember being like any kind of investment in. Like they haven't really released anything, you know. I'd say in the last you know fifteen years that I've been like, man, I need to go find this on a streaming service or anything. I think because I've done somewhat similar rabbit hole stuff uh, with Nicktoons on YouTube, and what was it? Are they Nicktoons rejected some now successful cartoons like. Um, maybe adventure time or something like it's i'm not too familiar with a lot of the the more recent cartoon network stuff but i think it was they rejected some like really good hits and they went somewhere else and like helped rebuild uh, cartoon network yeah i can i can i can see that i know um yeah nickelodeon was just so much fun back back in the day and i always wanted to do the game show stuff i think the one that i wish like if they were to reboot any of them like everybody goes to legends of the hidden temple i go nick arcade because of where we are with video games now compared to then. Yeah, no, I dude, Nick Arcade was awesome and I love it so much. So I think that they could probably do something like that again and it'd be pretty popular. All right. Um, let's uh, start wrapping this up and let's get into the Fave 5 questions. Okay. Hey, this is Booker T, five-time champ, and this is the Fave 5 questions. Now, can you dig it? All right. We'll start with question number one. Favorite flavor of Pop-Tarts? S'mores. Hot or cold? Uh, I guess no preference on either, whatever is like available at the time, but usually I'm just taking a s'mores pop tart and just eating it straight. Like doesn't need to be hot. I don't know if, if it's a generation thing. I know I prefer like cold on most like hot's okay, but I don't know. It doesn't bother me either way. Like I remember toasting my pop tarts when I was a kid, but I also remember running out of the house and grabbing a pack of them. So to me, the race fine. And I completely agree with you. S'mores is just the best. 
Question number two. Uh, let's go with favorite video game console. Let's go with the PlayStation 2. I think that from top to bottom, it probably had the best lineup of original games, but also I'm like a big sports gamer. So, of course, like Madden 06 was my jam on there. Every NCAA football uh, title that they had on there, as well as clearly SmackDown Here Comes the Pain and SmackDown vs. Raw were two of my favorite wrestling games growing up as well. I wasted a lot of time, and I mean a lot of Friday nights playing the Pride Fighting Championship game on there, and that's like one of my favorite MMA video games ever created. So PlayStation 2 is going to take the cake on this one. I think PlayStation 1 and 2 had a really good ride. Like, you can combine both systems together. Like, that's there's so much within those libraries, and... Mm-hmm. I think I, with those eras, like those are the two that I preferred and they just killed in the fact that too, like if you buy a PlayStation 2, you could play all the PlayStation 1 games as well. So that's double the library. Not It's not my favorite, but like it gives you a reason to really like it. And that was the basically the first backwards compatibility system we ever seen. Yep. All right. Question number three, wings, bone in or out? Bone in, baby. Gotta, gotta be normal. Boneless wings are not wings. Boneless wings are just <laughs> miniature chicken fingers. <laughs> um, a new added thing that I'm adding to this for bone-in, drums or flats? I'm a drums guy. I, I, I get some heat for that. I mean, I'll eat both, but I, I would prefer, prefer drums as opposed to flats. I like just all the juicy, like like all the juice of the meat coming right there. So I'm more of a flats guy, but like I don't I don't think there's a heat of which is which is actually better for me. Yeah, it, neither do I. I can I can just slam flats easier. Just, you know, that's uh, fair. Hey, that, that's that's fair. I I'm a I'm a drums easier guy. So I like I said I'm a I'm a drums guy myself. But you know I I'll eat both. I love me some wings. Uh, question number four. Uh, let's go with. It wouldn't be fair to ask you sheets or Wawa, but let's move to a different one because I was thinking I was kind of looking at that one. I'm like nah. Hey, I, I do love Wawa. I'm going to choose Sheets over it, though. Yeah. But Wawa has some great options. They they have some great healthier options as well. Um, their quesadillas are out of this world. And, you know, Sheets tries to do quesadillas, but they just they can't hold a candle to those Wawa quesadillas. But I still think Sheets has a better overall selection. Actual question number four, Step Brothers or Talladega Nights? Oh, gosh, that is that's a deep cut. Uh, I think I'm going to go Talladega Nights. Okay. Just barely edges it out. And actually, if you'd given me, there's two other movies that I'd put above both of those that are both Ferrells. But I like, I, there's so much I quote from Talladega Nights, and I really love John C. Riley uh, a little bit more. I think I, I think I quoted the Mike Honcho quote to Dr. Dan the other week <laughs> as like an alias. Um, but also like, Ricky's dad gives me so many good quotes and like I will not lie to you that there's times at the Adobe school where I won't just yell Applebee's has rats. <laughs> God. That, there is it's they're both so quotable and, and it's really hard to like pick. I always go with uh Talladega Nights just because of it's that NASCAR environment that makes it a little funnier but they're yeah. still they're still both so good. I look at the formula of Talladega Nights to Step Brothers is very similar to Tommy Boy and Black Sheep, except for Black yeah. Sheep isn't as good as Step Brothers. Like it, it, there's a huge fall off, but with Step Brothers and Talladega Nights, it's it's on the same level. Yeah, no, I agree. And like, I actually like like it's less of the John C. Riley and uh, Will Ferrell movies, but like I love Semi Pro and I love the other guys. I think both of those are other great Will Ferrell movies that are highly quotable. Um, 
but I think that's part of the reason too. Like Talladega Nights and Step Brothers are so good. I think that's part of the reason why, like when I saw Holmes and Watson, I was so disappointed because like it was okay, but like I, you just had such high expectations for you know John C. Riley and Will Ferrell, and it just it, it kind of fell flat. I want to see that movie, but like every review I've heard is just like it's not that good. And normally I don't pay attention to a lot of reviews, but like a lot of people were saying if there was a wide variety of like it's hilarious to it sucks, I'd go okay. I know people have liked it, people have hated it, but everybody was just like, no, nah, it's not good at all. It's, it's really it's really not good. Uh, most of the jokes fall real flat. But, like, I'm also the kind of person that, like, very rarely do I go see a movie and, and like, am not at least find it, like, somewhat entertained or, like, find, like, positives in said movie. Like, it takes a lot for me to think a movie's bad. I saw what people voted the worst movie of 2018, and I still liked it. Which was Gotti, starring John Travolta. Okay. Ku and I went and saw it, and like we're like, this movie wasn't bad. Like, why is everybody shitting on it? Like, it had a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so like we couldn't believe that it had a zero. And we're like, not one person thought this was good. That's wild. That was the Movie Pass movie. Yes, the 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 infamous Movie Pass movie. And I think may, maybe I'm too close to Gotti because obviously, like being Italian, like I love mob movies, but also like Kevin. Uh, Kevin Conley direct or like kind of like produced it and directed it from Entourage. And I'm like one of the most unabashed Entourage fans in the world. So like I was like, oh, he did this movie. It's got to be okay. What's your favorite mob movie? Oh, Goodfellas. Goodfellas. But but man, dude, I don't know. It's it's a neck and neck. Actually, Casino is up there for me because I love Casino. And I can tell you that like Thorne and I will, uh, will sometimes just send each other Casino like clips like when we're mad about something. And like it'll either be like a Pesci clip or a De Niro clip from Casino, but like it's definitely it's between Goodfellas and Casino was like two of my favorites. I think I've seen Goodfellas once. Never see Casino. For me though, it's Godfather. Godfather is great, and like I, I like I get the love for it, but I guess I'm just I I love Pesci and De Niro and how well they play in those roles. Uh, Goodfellas is coming back to Netflix, I think, here in a couple of weeks. So do a rewatch on that. Like I, I'm a big fan. Maybe I'm more of an Al Pacino guy because That's I also fair. I also love Scarface. Well, not necessarily a mob movie, but uh, it, it it's the same. It's the same difference. I love Scarface as well. I think Scarface is a little egregiously long. Like it like it it really drags. Whereas like I don't necessarily think like even though Goodfellas and Casino are both around three hours, or they both clock in almost three hours. I don't think they drag as much as Scarface. I've I've never even thought about Scarface and uh, running long. Like I've always like enjoyed the like the step by step of you saw how Tony goes from being a, a immigrant to being a, a you know this huge drug lord i mean it it, it took step yeah. by step by step but there there's just if some- you uh if you like if you like uh scarface and i don't know how into documentaries you are have you seen the documentary cocaine cowboys no Dude, so Cocaine Cowboys is like if you turn like as like a real life Scarface, like it's literally like the true story of the Colombian drug trade, uh, like the, especially the cocaine trade through Miami in the eighties. Uh, if you can find it, like Cocaine Cowboys is probably one of my favorite documentaries that ever came out. Of course, I'm actually weird, and I want to see if they remake Scarface again because you know the, there was Scarface with Al Pacino was just a remake, and I wanted to see like how they adapt it to modern times because that's what the the original the al pacino one did from the original yeah it, it, it'd be interesting to see if they do that because like scarface is one of the most notorious box office busts and it's really one of those movies that once it got released on home videos where it made all of its money back and it got really all of its acclaim scarface as a movie like i said in the box office was like a notoriously bad bust actually yeah 
I think that's a story for like so many movies back then to where it's it was the mm-hmm. when the home market became something where it was like, oh, it's this is this is why it's so good. I, I looked over it. If I were to compare it to anything, it's like uh, uh, Van Gogh. He he wasn't successful in his lifetime. No one cared until he was dead. Yeah. Uh, question number five, because I haven't officially asked this one to you. I think I know your answer, and it is the Wilkman question. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Absolutely. I think uh, timing, time frame, enough Christmas references in it. Yeah, dude. Die Hard, Christmas movie. But what is your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, Jingle All the Way. Yeah, yeah. That's. I knew that one was hit. I still want to like take your belt and do the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing. I just want to do it once, dude. If if it falls out and and you get a chance, dude, go for it. I'm, maybe maybe I can just bring you a white belt and you can do it with that. Um, no, but like I'm. That's why I was so pumped. Ku did that drawing of Booster the other day, and it, he's talking about maybe doing it as a pin. I'm like, well, I'm like, I definitely need to get one of those. Yeah, Jingle Jingle All the Way is uh, is number one with a very close second being National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And like from a family perspective, my entire family will sit and watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation because we always call my dad Griswold because when I was younger, my dad used to do Clark Griswold like Christmas displays to the point where he would go out and hand out candy canes to like people driving by. We had music playing out the whole time. So like National Lampoon's is a real close second, but like Jingle All the Way being like six years old when that came out and the idea of like this toy and Arnold and the big show was in at the time can't be beat. Have you gone to the Christmas Vacation house? The, not not the one from the movie, the one that is here locally that they uh, put all the lights up like the movie. I have not actually. I, Sounds like a plan for twenty for twenty twenty for me. It's a tradition that I know I want to start doing. Um, trying to, I don't exactly know where it's at. Um, from memory, oh, uh, the it's in Wadsworth. It's uh, you can find it on oh, nice. you can find it on Facebook under Wadsworth Griswold House. And the, they let you know, like, when the, the decorations go out and they try to make it look as close to, to the movie as possible. Obviously, it's not the same house, not the same style house, but they put out all the stuff. They just, I think last, last year they did the, the RV for the first time sitting out front and all this kind of stuff. And I, I had heard about it, I think, late last year. It was brought to my attention. I'm like, I didn't even know we had this in here because obviously we know, yeah. we know the Christmas story house, but I didn't mm-hmm. know that there was someone that did this. So that would that would be a fine and that would be a thing to visit uh this christmas for sure i think i'm gonna add that to my list of things to do and the thing is like i've never been able to do the the belt thing from jingle all the way only because even when i was in taekwondo we didn't have a purple belt i have white yellow orange green blue red and brown i have no purple which i don't know if we we skipped a color or what like i know just always thinking my belt system was right and then learn like oh no like every they all have different systems i go oh yeah so for some reason, we didn't have purple, so I never had a purple belt. I didn't get to be cool like uh, like from Jingle All the Way. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's such a movie that resonates with a lot of people our age. To where if like if you grew up, I don't know the exact age range when that came out. Like that's one of your favorites, and I mean that's why I bought a Turbo Man and I love uh, it. Yeah, I, I paid a lot for it, but still like it's like really cool to have. And this was the first year that every year I put it out around Christmas under the tree. Dude, that's that's I never I've never even known that to be a tradition, but that's an awesome one. I bought it, and then that's something I thought of, like, oh, like I don't right now I don't have like a real good place to put it because I'm just running out of space. But for Christmas, it's like really cool, like to say that my Turbo Man is nestled safely under the tree. 
That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, question number six, uh, uh, listening to you on some of the, the Patreon episodes and um, some other interviews you had mentioned about, I think it was Zack Sabre Jr. told you about how, about creating goals and all that kind of stuff. And obviously everybody has their, their big goal, but it's like, you know, you have to create goals to get to that goal. It's basically a ladder. Mm-hmm. So what are your current goals that you have uh, after all this is goal, over? <laughs> it's definitely not like what it used to be. Obviously, it was it used to be so, so simplistic and easy uh, of like get here, get there, get there. But I've been so many places at this point. Uh, ladder goals for sure would be like wrestle in the UK. Uh, that was a big thing that Kevin and I had wanted to do this year. And uh, obviously, with everything going on, it hurts a little bit. Um, but Wrestling UK is one. Um, another would be win a championship somewhere. Um, I've had a really successful career, but I don't have a lot of championships places. Realistically, I think the only two title, the only three titles I've ever held would be uh, the tag titles and sub, um, the sub championship, and then UXWA their championship. Really, that's the only titles I've ever held. I, I really think that I want. I'd like to hold something in AIW, whether it be the intense title. Um, or something along those lines. Um, possibly, you know, Kevin and I winning the Black Label Pro Tag Titles. You know, stuff like that. Like, uh, like adding a championship there. Or, you know, I know Tom and I in MLW. You know, obviously we're in, engaged with the Von Ericks. You know, maybe winning a title on that level would be something. But winning a title would be another big thing. And then I think my last goal would be to just fill my booking calendar up so full that I could almost consider, you know stepping out of my normal job and just being a wrestler. But I think that's the furthest away goal of all things, especially now with the economy, the way it is. But, you know, I think each of those things is obtainable within the next year to two years. I didn't really think about it, but you're, you're the only person in SUP who's held both championships. Yeah. And I always make the joke to, well, I make this joke to Brett and AC now that out of all of the bone storm champions, Marco, me, and Kurt, everybody's been signed in some way, shape, or form. Kurt has a WWN contract. I have an MLW contract. Marco has an AEW contract. And it's up to them to keep the uh, the, the train rolling of guys that, you know, hold the Bonestorm title to get signed somewhere. <laughs> I'd love to see a lot more from them. I think that's what sucks about going through all this. I think AC Mack was really killing it, uh, make, really making his name for himself. Like when he uh, was a surprise replacement at the Akron show, I flipped my shit. Yeah, that was that was what we were hoping to go for. We when AJ couldn't make it, we, we knew AC was probably going to be the best to fill that to to uh, you know talk and to AC's credit, that was one of the nights where the where the PA was going really haywire and AC you know has that loud projecting mm-hmm. voice and he was able to you know get it done with no mic. So good for him. And I think that he was a guy that you know we looked at out of the out of the tryout and did really well. Um, so I think there's going to be more for him. And uh, I, I think that it was bad timing because I think he had some good stuff lined up for so many weekend and was going to become a bigger and more household name, but it just didn't work out. Yeah. Him, and then also with, with Brett, he's a, I would love to see him break out of the South. And I know that there's reasons why he hasn't. And I, it's something that I hope that if not would have been this year or next year, just something where uh, he gets out there more like when he did, um, when he did black label, like that was awesome. And he was, legitimately one of the reasons why i went mm-hmm. i think brett brett just needs to you know dedicate himself to really you know going fully full bore into this i think brett's got 
all the talent in the world. I think that, you know, Brett's got to really sell himself out and take every and any opportunity he can, you know, when wrestling comes back because he's got the look, he's got the skill, and it's just, you know, it's all about just getting out there and getting people to really recognize who he is. All right. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the Fave 5 questions. Before we go, before we uh, start actually wrapping everything up and go into plugs and everything, I want to share a story with people that – uh, involves you and I've never really had this happen. I thought this was so cool though. Uh, there is a a restaurant around here in the in Akron area called Mr. Zubs. I went in there. Uh, I don't go in there too often. There used to be one in Kent that I went to all the time, but now the only one is in Akron. So I got a really got a craving for some of their food, and then I walked in, and it was right around this time. I think it was right around WrestleMania. I see someone wearing your shirt, and to me, I'm like, holy fuck. Granted, you're like you're from this area and all this kind of stuff, but the fact it wasn't just like a fan of yours; it was someone who you taught their kids. And I thought that was really cool that he like he might not necessarily be a wrestling fan, but he was out here supporting you. And that to me, that was awesome. So I don't know if I've told you this story, but he is, actually is a wrestling fan. His name is James Mounts. Um, I've taught both of his kids in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for the last ten or so years, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where now, like, I remember them coming in and being like three feet tall, and now one's driving and about ready to graduate high school so it's crazy to me um he's actually a former independent wrestling referee he he was a ref for shasta oh so he's okay i've been listening to all these past episodes and you mm-hmm. always mention a referee and i never knew yep. where they came it's from him. no yep. shit it's james yeah james was a ref for shasta and i remember meeting james back when i was setting up rings around that time for mewl and stuff and it just so happened that I remembered him because he's got a very distinct look. He's got a, like this crazy beard. Like, and I remember I started talking about wrestling when I was, you know, teaching his kids. And then when I made the decision to kind of start doing pro wrestling, he was one of the ones that really beat the drum for me to go to the AW school because he yeah. knew, you know, he knew me as a person and knew my drive and he knew what I'd want to accomplish. So he was really into uh, sending me to AIW knowing that it was going to help me get to the goals that I had. So love James, love James and Jackson, his sons. And, and they're awesome. Yeah. That, the, it, it was the right choice going there. The I might have like friends in other schools and everything, but if I could pull any of them aside, I'm just like, hey, you, you need to stop wasting your time. You need to go to like if you want to do like if you want to if this is what you want to do, that's fine. But like if you want to do something, there, there, I don't I don't beat this drum because I'm one of the instructors there. I really beat the drum to anybody in the within the two hour kind of drive span of the Cleveland area to anywhere between two to three hours of the drive span area. To really come to the IW Academy, not just like, like I said, not I don't just beat the drum as I teach there, but now that we've added Josh Prohibition as one of the trainers, that is 20 plus years of invaluable wrestling experience that even I'm still going and learning from him on Tuesdays now. But the the, the experience that we're able to get just on show days and being around and and the ability to talk to an Eddie Kingston on a show day, like mm-hmm. you go to another school, you're not going to have that chance to talk to Eddie Kingston. You're going to have a chance to talk to other younger students and maybe guys that haven't hit, but you have the chance to talk to Eddie Kingston. You have the chance to talk to Eric Stevens. You know, you have the chance to talk to Alex Shelley while he's there. You know, that's one of the things. Another thing that really people don't put into perspective of the AW school is the insight that John has, you know, John has helped my career out in so many ways. You know, he was one of the guys that was when I was, you know, negotiating with MLW. He was a guy that I was, you know, messaging at all times, asking about, you know, provisions of deals and whatnot. 
and he was a big help to that. You know, John has 20 plus years of wrestling experience. He sees what's, he's seen what works and he's seen what doesn't work. And I really think that like, that is one of the under, like the undervalued things, the IW school is that, you know, John comes up to training weekly and he's going to see you and he's going to say, this is what you're doing, right? This is what you're doing wrong. Uh, this is what you have for a character. Mm, that's not the best idea. So on and so forth. And I, I always mainly point to like, look at the results. You can, there are, there are students yep. who debuted last year at the AAW Academy that have more exposure than people who graduated from other schools two years ago. Way, way more exposure. I look at it like this. Britt Baker was told after she did her first tryout to come to the school and and get that seasoning. And I know that when it comes down to it, Britt is obviously, you know, AEW signed and I've been signed to MLW out of the school. So we're the only two signed talents out of the school. But man, just look at, just look at, like you said, all the the people that we've had, you know, that are getting out there and 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 really getting their names out there and really getting that exposure. You know, obviously, you know, we have our four from last year's class, you know, Chuck, Eric, um, Mikey and um, Arthur, you know, and those guys are out there, you know, working and grinding. You know, you got Wes and Josh who are just absolutely killing it. Trey Lamar, absolutely killing it. Mm-hmm. Chase Oliver's back now. He's really in it. You know, that's another thing that, you know, this this virus really, yes. you know, hurt his comeback because he was starting to come back and then get real strong. Uh, you know, and people were getting to remember how good he is. Zach Thomas is killing it. Like, really, like you look at the this the academy and it's it's really like it's a room full of killers that, you know, we're all coming to practice, we're all making each other better. And the the crazy thing is there's, you know, another 10 people that you haven't heard of yet that are we're getting ready to hopefully debut here, you know, within the next, you know, year to two years. So there's just so much out there and it's 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 just really iron sharpening iron and making everybody better. And like I said, the addition of, of Josh Prohibition to the staff to help, you know, teach and instruct has been, you know, light years more than I could have ever dreamed for. And it's been a godsend to help me and to help me refocus my wrestling career for sure. And because like I look at it too, like the 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 hottest people to come out of the AIW Academy, where who that's where you've learned the most from. Like I'm not, I'm not counting as much with like Brit and like PB people like that, but it's like you and and Josh, and it's it's this neck and neck battle of getting your names out there. And like Josh doesn't necessarily have a contract, but I think there's because of what happened last year, there's a lot more people oh, yeah. look at him, and that to me that's awesome. And like to see a dude who. <laughs> who who has completely changed his look and everything since you know go back and watch the that oh. that debut <laughs> match with two ropes and like it doesn't seem like the same Josh and that's one thing I love about nope. him. Nope, I would say that out of out of everybody, you know, the metamorphosis of, of like a Josh Bishop, like he completely changed. And obviously, you know, he was a very 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 young kid when when that debut match happened. But you know, he's really found himself. He's found a confidence in himself that he he never really necessarily had before. And and I really feel like we we the necessary like he always wanted Rip City to be a thing. Him and Wes have always been boys. And I think that like Thorne was always a little tepiditious of it at the very first initial idea of it. But when we came up with the idea to put Wes with Josh, I, I think that's the greatest thing that could have ever happened to Josh. 
I think you look at the performer Josh has become since Rip City's become a thing, and he's really become next level. And I think he hits with not only you know our crowd, but anywhere he goes, I really think that he comes out there and he and he's just at a higher level. And I, I really think that you know from the day Josh walked into the school, you know John and I both said you're going to get signed at some point. So I just think now it's it's not a if thing; it's just a matter of when you know a big company wants to pull the trigger on Josh Bishop. And then two that I kind of noticed is that the, the, the feud that he had with you was really pivotal for him. Like, yeah, there was everything with no consequences that got him to a certain point. But like really after that WrestleMania match with you, which a lot of people do say stole like the weekend, not just the show, the, mm-hmm. the weekend for them. And then like the next thing he does is win the intense title. And then we go into that feud because that's a crazy thing with with Justice and Bishop. That was the one of the best feuds of last year, but it was also coming off of your feud with him, which was also really good. Yeah. It's one of those things. Um, obviously like my biggest, you know, and one of my biggest inspirations in pro wrestling is Brian Danielson. And I've always looked at Brian Danielson as being one of the most selfless guys when it comes to putting somebody over. And I always like look at a match and how I can get the other guy over in terms of like, for sure with like that Josh match at WrestleMania, like, I wanted Josh, like I told Thorne, like Josh needs to win this match. And, and of course, like Thorne was in full agreement and, you know, we had the ideas and it all kind of went off without a hitch. And it, I'm just pumped that it went out the way it did. Obviously, like I think Thorne put a post up, like we were always on the bubble on that WrestleMania card. Like our feud was there. It was supposed to go longer. It was never supposed to be. So the, the true story behind it is, and I'll, I'll inside baseball you, Cemento Surrender was not supposed to happen at Summer Party Massacre. That was not the match we were supposed to have. The initial plan behind the match was they wanted to John wanted to do a mystery partners tag where I had Josh Prohibition as my tag team partner and Josh had M Dog as his, but uh, Josh couldn't get out of you know his job, so it didn't work. So he looked at me. So you know John hit me up and was like, "Hey, I think all we can do is submit or surrender at this point." I was like, "Yeah, that's fine." And then I don't think anybody knew we were going to go to the length that we did. But, you know, Josh and I had uh, had a thought in our mind of what we wanted to accomplish and to really prove to everybody, not only us, but, you know, the everybody gives the for the brand thing to justice and Josh. And I, and I will give a lot of that. But a lot of that for the brand mentality of Josh and came from Josh and me at WrestleMania weekend, like being like, let's go out there. Let's fucking kill it. And let's show the entire world what AIW is. And I think that's what we did that night. And you did. And uh, it, it gets kind of goes back to where we started of like like where we are right now with AIW and uh, everything. And I, I absolutely love it. All right, Dom, any uh, final thoughts or last minute plugs before we go? Um, you guys can just find me on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram at BC. Um, and then um, even though I don't plug it that much, um, I have updated my Pro Wrestling Tees store with a bunch of newer designs. Um, and that's ProWrestlingTees.com slash DGreeny. Um, the original Bloodsport design that I got done is back up on there where I have abs, which is not the case in real life. <laughs> but that's on there. Um, I have a couple of new shirts that I got designed that were just ended up being in a package of stuff. Um, as well, I have Italian American dragon shirts that I put out at the beginning of quarantine. I'm sure everybody's lost those by now, but, um, I have those available. DM me on Twitter for those or go to violencesforever.bigcartel.com uh, because we have Kevin and I have those up there as well. You can check out our big cartel store. A lot of cool stuff that Kevin's drawn turned into pins as well as our tag team shirts are there. Um, and then lastly, um, I do have a, an official shirt from the MLW shop. So if you go to MLWshop.com, um, 
my shirt is on there too. So all that good stuff. Uh, everybody just stay safe, stay healthy. Um, you know, this is all going to pass and, you know, we're all going to be partying at the Odeon together on a Friday night. And then we're going to see Nick Stapp and his baby girl sing some karaoke at Good Company after. Uh, what's the name of the artist that did the Violence is Forever shirt? Because right now he's killing it and I, I love uh, it. My man, Alec Hugo. Alec Hugo is, is awesome. Um, I found Alec from him just randomly off drawing a Chris Hero shirt. So I then DM'd him right away and I was like, hey man, like I have this idea, like I have, like I want you to do a commission, like are you taking commissions? He's like, yeah. So I sent him, you know, some pictures, some reference shots and he hit me with that Violence Forever shirt and I was pumped. Um, and then I have another shirt that he designed me that I'm going to wait, I'm going to sit on for a little bit. So he did do some really good work. So his Twitter handle, I believe, is at AlexHugo1 and he did Bulking Season's new shirt, which is awesome as well. So if you guys, you know, get a chance to talk to Arthur or Chuck, uh, grab that shirt, but that's awesome as well. Um, he did two shirts for Eric Stevens that are really cool. Yes. So he's he's doing a lot of stuff right now, and he's he's really into it. Um, I also had a guy named Nicholas Ingracia do me some stuff. He did the Italian American Dragon logos for me, um, and he did that the the one that you're gonna see on a lot of my stuff, that circle logo with the DG, mm -hmm. um, that looks like a jiu-jitsu logo. He did that for me, and then he did uh the one with uh the, the purple butts behind me. So he's really awesome. Uh, I encourage anybody looking for our work to check him out. Um, yeah, I mean, both those guys did awesome work for me. And uh, Kevin and I are really, you know, beating the drum of, you know, support these artists that are doing original art pieces like that because, you know, it's going to make for much more awesome indie shirts than just everybody ripping off, you know, TV show logos and whatnot. Which I know that's something I've heard. I've had a conversation with you about, I think, at one point of like, there's so many like that. So I think you tr try to be more original than than most like i know you have obviously you had like your aubrey monster shirt and everything but like you tried to do things differently which is it's great is highly respectable yeah and that's and that's really like kevin obviously like if you guys follow kevin like dude he's been pumping out so much fun and cool yeah. artwork just to keep himself sane so like you know obviously he's got a skin in the game and you know kevin and i have always been more than willing to you know pay for our shirts to get them done like we had cheap pop shop do that comic shirt for us last wrestlemania uh adam bass who does a lot of the sub stuff he did our last violences forever shirt and then you know we said i'll do this one so for us it's, it's it's very key into you know branding and having a bunch and having good logos having good merchandise because it's all the difference when when you're in this business and you're making good and you're making money off merch you want to have merch that people want to wear and want to support you you want you know someone to buy a shirt from at the beginning of the show some fans see that shirt and then watch your match and say, man, that's awesome. I really want to get more from this person. Absolutely agree. And uh, to going back to wrapping this show up, because we could just talk forever. Uh, you can find myself at heavyset330, much like you can find this show at wrestlingcheersfacebook.com slash wrestlingcheers, twitter.com slash wrestlingcheers, and instagram.com slash wrestlingcheers. Email, if you so choose, desire wrestlingcheers at gmail.com. And we have the merch store over at What a Maneuver. Net. Like I said before, please rate, review, and subscribe to your Edelis's Fine Podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Podbean, WrestlingCheers.Podbean.com. Check out our friends on the Trending Topics Network, such as All Beer Inside, Eurovision Showcase, and Wrestling with Altitude. Check out our other podcast friends, such as Let the Hate Flow Through You, Pod Van Dam, Super Fantastic Podcast, Kick Out at Two, Wrestling Nerds Radio Network featuring the IndieCast and This Makes No Sense, Center of the Universe, Sobros Network, the co-host wrestling show, the Spotlight Series, IWTV Guide, and At Odds with Wrestling. Check out our other 
non-podcast friends such as Thrift Store Jobber, The Savage Dash, Mouse's Wrestling Adventures, Sickening Pictures, Good Company, Stay Tough, Smokin' Jay's Barbecue, Wrestle Void, Midwest Territory, Southern Underground Pro and the official graphic designers of Wrestling Cheers, Moy Boy Designs. That will do it for us here on Wrestling Cheers, where everybody knows your name, even when there's a snake in your boot. Later. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name And there all be fight you came You're the fake lion that said Rose are all the same You're the fake lion that said Yeah!